Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy? Pioneer aerospace excellence? Start a global hospitality brand? Be Next to do it in Montgomery County, Maryland. Visit BeNext.ThinkMOCO.com to see how our top talent, diversity, and location will help you be the next company to change the world. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit BeNext.ThinkMoCo.com to see how we can help you be next. Welcome to the Fandrax Toolshed. If you love Dynasty Leagues and prospects, you came to the right place, because that's what this show is all about. Covering the majors and all levels of the minor leagues to give you the leg up in your Dynasty Leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 51 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store for you all today. And with me, as always, from Fantrax HQ, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, what's up, man? Oh, not too much. I can't believe that baseball's winding down. Two weeks of the regular season left. I know. Um, I'm very sad. Uh, fantasy's coming to an end for a little while, but it's, uh, I'm a little nervous. Got Quite a few teams doing really well, so got to hold out two more weeks. But looking forward to it. Yeah, luckily though, since we, you know, both of us play in a lot of dynasty and keeper leagues, is always that small element of year round. You can still make yep. trades in November or whatever. You have to FYPD drafts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's why I love dynasty leagues. It kind of holds you over until you can get back into baseball season next. You know, draft season next. You know, spring and baseball season next April. So. Yeah, and Dynasty so, baseball never ends, and I love it. I love it too, and hopefully we have a season next year. <laughs> I'm really hoping because uh, I was looking at looking at our uh, my prospects sheet here. It's one, one of our we're doing a listener mailbag uh, episode tonight, and one of the questions is about some prospects we might see in 2022 pretty early. And I was looking at my sheet, and there's a lot of intriguing prospects that are probably going to be up next year. So hopefully we don't have a work stoppage to screw all that up. I will come beat you rob manfred listen to me rob manfred i know you're listening to this podcast no labor stoppage or you will be you will be in a world of hurt let me tell you <laughs> um all right but before we get into this uh this week's episode the usual housekeeping you can find us on twitter chris is at roto clegg i'm at eric cross zero four and our show is at fantrax toolshed if you enjoy our podcast please write and review on itunes or wherever you're listening Check out our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash toolshed for extra content from both of us. And of course, check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the Fantrax HQ network, including our other podcasts, SP Streamer, Fantasy Hockey Life, Fantasy Football Addicts, Define Fantasy Football, and Fantasy Football POV. But let's get right into this week's episode. Again, we're going to do a listener mailbag. We had a lot of great questions, probably... Oh, 12, 13, 14 of them or so. But before we get into that, one bit of news we got to talk about here. When you're listening to this on Monday, Shane Boz will, will be making his MLB debut. A uh, little surprising that he's going to start here. I thought they might bring him up out of the bullpen, but exciting nonetheless. In 17 starts this year between AA and AAA, 2.06 ERA, 0.80 whip, and 13 walks to 113 strikeouts across 78 and two-thirds innings. You know, he was one that we interviewed on 5-Tool back at the beginning of the pandemic last year. It was like early April or so. 
And one of the things he mentioned was he was going to use that time off just to kind of get back to basics and work on, you know, his delivery and his, his mechanics and kind of just cleaning, cleaning everything up, getting back to basics and, you know, work on, you know, command control and all that stuff. And that has really shown this year, the walk rate has been cut by about three times or four times from his 2019 showing uh, really elevating him to, uh, you could say he's in in the conversation with Grayson Rodriguez. It's one of the top pitching prospects in the game. Chris, what have been your thoughts on Shane Boz this year and how, how excited do you think you know people should be about him this year and for next year? Yeah. And think that you hit on the point, like the biggest thing for me was always the the control. And he certainly looked to improve that a lot this year. He's been highly impressive. You mentioned the stats. I don't need to repeat them. They're extremely solid. He's pretty well-rounded arsenal. Uh, good four, even five pitches he mixed in on occasion. And now when you command him like he has, I, I think you, know, you can argue that he's got one of the better arsenals in the, the minor leagues with a really, really good fastball that can get up to triple digits. It'll be certainly interesting to see how he performs this year. Um, obviously not the most ideal matchup going against Toronto tomorrow. So I'm kind of, hesitant there. he's at houston after that i'm pretty sure yeah so, so, so a couple of tough matchups to start yeah not not ideal by any means so i'm wondering if he does struggle if it creates like an awesome buying opportunity for him i mean those are tough matchups for your first you know especially you know toronto's the hottest lineup in baseball by a large margin <laughs> and your first career start and you're going up against them yeah not not the most ideal but Shoot, if he – I'm not putting high expectations on him. I haven't gone out of my way to pick him up in a lot of places just because I, I'm worried about the matchups more than anything. But, you know, if he does show out, then that would be awesome to see. See a rookie come up and dominate his first start against the best lineup in baseball. That'd be great. But if he doesn't, I wouldn't be discouraged. I wouldn't be worried about him. I think maybe it does create a good buying opportunity in Dynasty if he struggles a little bit this year and even next year in the redraft league. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch them though. It'll be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Imagine you get your first major league start and you're going to face in the first inning, two of the top three in war this year. <laughs> and then Vladdy jr. Who's first in war and Marcus Semien, who's third. And then you get a factor in Boba Shet, who's 26th and or tied for 23rd in war, but still like, and you got Tay Oscar and Lourdes is heating up. Yeah, Kirk's hitting well. Jansen's hitting well. The whole lineup is hitting well for the most part. So yeah, that's a very tough matchup. Then Houston's no sludge either. So, yeah, I don't know if I would be um, spending a ton of fab to get him. Like, obviously, at this point, it's more so who has fab left to spend. Um, but I don't know. Even if I did, I don't know if I'd go huge into him just because the matchups aren't great. I, you know, I'm very high on Boz. I uh, always have been a boss guy, and especially now since he's made the adjustments that he said he was going to make last year when I talked to him on five tools. So very high on Boz long term. I think he can be a frontline type of arm, you know, a top 20, top 15 fantasy arm in time with the way he's limits the walks now, the way he can miss bats at an elite clip, especially with that fastball that you know Chris mentioned can get up in the upper nineties, touch you know, touch triple digits at times, and that filthy slider that can get up into the low nineties with late breaks. So Definitely love Boz long-term, but I might be a little hesitant to go after him this year in redraft leagues. Uh, all right, let's get into the mailbag stuff now. Start with a couple of debates we had um, people asked of us. The first is, who would we rather have in 2022? 
just 2022, not long-term, not dynasty, strictly for 2022 redraft leagues. Wander Franco or Francisco Lindor? Chris, I'll go over to you first. Who would you rather have 2022? Jeez. I, I, well, yeah, I'll go ahead and tell you that Wander's probably going to go about 30 spots above Lindor. If I just had to guess, like if I'm just guessing ADP, I'm betting that Wander's probably going around 25 for redraft leagues. And I'm guessing that Lindor's going to go 50 to 60 range. Could be totally off there, but that's that's my early speculation. And I don't know. For next year alone, I actually may lean with Wander, which you know, part of me thinks I, I do. I really do think Lindor's going to rebound. I think he's going to be fine long term. I'm not really worried about that. But Wander's just been so elite, and he does everything so well. And you know, we don't need to just gush over him. We've gushed over him enough, but. Everything he's done, he's done well. His play discipline is, you know, one of the best that I've ever seen. And and think about how young he is and how he's doing this at the major league level in one of the high in like the one of the best divisions in baseball. He's 20 years old and showing some incredible play discipline skills. I mean, the walk rate eight percent, the strikeout rate twelve point nine percent. By the way, that strikeout rate's the highest of his career at any level, twelve point nine percent. Ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. I mean, a 91% zone contact rate is incredible. I'm actually encouraged because he's hitting the ball on the ground a little less than he has at any point since rookie ball in 2018. So I'm encouraged by that. More line drives have definitely been great. Home run to fly ball is even you know, pretty low at 9%. So those that may argue about his power speed numbers with seven home runs and two stolen bases, not overly concerned about that. I do think that you see those numbers definitely tick up. I mean, again, he's just 20 years old. So obviously, and right now is on the IL. So he hasn't played. When was the last time he played? Uh, I think it was the 10th. Yeah. I was like, he's, he's probably due back on Tuesday. Yeah. From the sounds of it. Yep. That's right. But again, I, everything that he's done just makes me lean that way. You know, even, even though Lindor's picked it up, I don't know. It's tough. And I think this may come when thinking about price, like where their ADP is. And if we're looking at a redraft league, obviously, but you know, if you're looking at just a keeper for 2022, it's easily wander in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. You know, I was kind of debating this one and I do go with wander, but yeah. And I, I do think Lindor will go a little higher than 56. I mean, I think well, he just went around, uh, I'm in a too way too early. Um, is it ever too early? Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, way too early 2022 mock draft that Matt Williams is putting on. Um, we're just doing like the first 10 rounds. We're doing a full draft, and uh, Matt Williams took him at the um, the was it the four or five turn? So I think it was like pick 48. And Matt Williams is a Mets fan. We got to remember that. But I don't think that played much into the bias there. So um, I think maybe 50, you know, 45, 50 is maybe a little higher. Um, just because he has kind of picked it up a bit here, and, and the metrics are still pretty solid. You go to a savant page, a lot of above average metrics, not a lot of red, but a lot of like pink in the sliders up top there. Um, and some stuff has improved from last year. Barrel rate's gone up, exit velocity's gone up, you know, the um, hard hit rate's gone up as well, walk rate's gone up to a career high rate. So I think, I think Lindor is a good pick in the back end of the top 50, but. I think as long as the power speed comes to Wander, which I think it will. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be a huge power speed guy, but he's already on, like, you know, a 17, 18 homer pace this year. 
Yeah, is 20 to 25 home runs next year possible for Wander? Absolutely. Is 10 to 15 steals possible? Yes. Who knows what, what Tampa Bay will do and let him, if they let him run that much. But I think you could see a 2010 season out of Wander next year. And he's already putting up the, the counting stats. Like over the last, uh, since the beginning of August, which is uh, for him 35, uh, 33 games, he has 33 runs and 22 RBIs. So like the counting stats are there. The average is there. He's in three. He hit three thirteen in one hundred and ten plate appearances in August, three sixty seven in thirty three plate appearances in September before he went on the IL about a week and a half ago. So I think the average runs RBI should be fine. It's just how much of the power and speed come along. I think, like I said, twenty ten. I think it's possible. So yeah, I, I will take uh, Wander for twenty twenty two. But at the same time, I don't know if I like the price tag. Like twenty yeah, steep. Yeah, I think. 25 i could see him top 20 i could literally see him go like pick 17 18 would not surprise me at this in the there's slightest. so much helium right and so there's so much name value. yeah do I, and even if he does go top 25 top 20 do i think he could you know return that value sure but you're banking on you know a high percentage outcome from him and is there a lot of you know room for a return on investment there to him even exceed that i don't know for next yeah. year Nothing against Wander, but you know that's just a steep price tag with all the good, all the elite players up there that have proven it and have higher upsides for 2022 at least. Um, but yeah, getting back to the question, I think we, we both lean Wander here for 2022. Uh, now a prospect debate here. Uh, we got asked Jordan Walker versus Marco Luciano, and I think the initial kind of mindset is, oh, Luciano, no question, but. Then you look at how 2021 has gone. I'm I'm to 2022 again. Um, Luciano has struggled pretty mightily um, since his call up to high A. And I'm not overly concerned by it. But at the same time, Jordan Walker has not struggled after his call up. You know, look at Luciano in 35 games since his call up to high A. Only slashing 216, 284, 296, one home run. Um, And the strikeout rate well above 30%. Um, and then on the other side, Jordan Walker, as I said, he has just excelled all year, exceeding my expectations for him this year, especially in the in the uh, hit tool department. That, that was kind of the question, some chase issues, some contact issues. But since his promotion to high A, 296, 346, 493, that's not quite as good as he was in low A. But overall in the year, he's in 320, 14 home runs, 14 steals. Yeah, it's A ball. Steals are elevated. But you know, maybe he runs a little bit more than maybe in initially anticipated. He's a good athlete, even though he's a bit bigger. So yeah, it's interesting, Chris. Like, like I said, initially you want to, your brain is like, all right, it's Luciano. But you, then you just look at the skill set for, you know, both of these players and it gets kind of closer. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's you, when you look at it initially, it's like, oh, that's, that's an easy answer for me. Obviously in single A, I mean, low A, Luciano looked absolutely fine. I mean, he slashed 278, 373, 556. His contact numbers were good. Still struck out a, a decent amount, but, you know, 18 home runs there in low A, five stolen bases. But then when you bump to high A, it just, he's looked lost. I mean, his contact rate has dropped significantly down. It's 57% in high A, which is just absolutely brutal. Again, it's just 35 games. 125 at bats there for Luciano, but still you mentioned the slugs, not even over 300 in, in high a, that's not the type of player that we expected. And, and meanwhile, you look at Walker, he's just, he hasn't slowed down. He's excelled. Yeah. The contact is down a little bit since moving to high a, but 
still much better than Luciano's and the contact skills have actually impressed me and show it. This goes to show like how little we know about prep hitters coming into the draft as far as like contact skills, because we don't know everything they're going up against high school pitchers. Like most of these guys they're facing in, in high school ball aren't great. And on the showcase, it's such a small sample. So we have to judge so much on this, the showcase circuit, but I mean, how many at bats are they getting on the showcase circuit? It's not a, a ton. So it's hard to, to really judge. Right. And yeah, I mean, I'm certainly intrigued. I mean, Walker hits the ball really hard and, and we knew that that's some, that's something we expected coming in. And Luciano does too. But Walker has just a slightly higher hard hit rate, according to RotoWire. They post their hard hit numbers over there, um, and so I don't know. It's it's certainly interesting. I think Luciano is going to be fine. Again, they're same age, so it's not like it's a Luciano is that much younger. But yeah, I think when you actually sit down and evaluate their entire year, it certainly makes things interesting. Even though the gut's just easy to say Luciano, so. Yeah, I, I don't think they're that far apart, honestly. Yeah, this this could make for an interesting kind of trade in dynasty leagues. These are trades I like to make where I can get. Let, let's say I have I have Luciano, and I'm looking to make it maybe get rid of him right now, and maybe I can go after a guy like a Jordan Walker who could end up being closer than expected, but maybe doesn't have that same value, you know, as, as his a uh, potential performance you know so get him plus another you know top you know he's probably right around top 25 or so for me right now so maybe if you can get walker plus another you know top 40 top 50 guy then maybe you can get some good value with that second piece and make this a really good deal for yourself and someone might think oh i'm getting the steal getting luciano where it could be end up being a steal for you those are the types of deals i like to make a lot in dynasty league so maybe we might be worth uh going after jordan walker if you have uh you luciano's is you know, a lot closer because why I had Luciano higher, I thought power would be similar. They both had really you know good power potential, but I thought the hit tool advantage would go to Luciano and a little bit more speed to Luciano. But if the hit tool and the speed kind of grades are getting closer here, and overall the value is getting pretty close too. So yeah, this will be interesting to see how you know if this continues in 2022 here. So I'm gonna be very intrigued to see how the, both these guys perform next year. Moving on to our next question here. This is a, this will be a fun one. Question was, who are some of the top rookies we should see up in 2022, especially those who may start the season in the bigs or be up by June and where is a, uh, where there is a path to everyday playing time? I kind of alluded to this in the, the intro, but there's a lot of intriguing names that could be up in 2022. Just in general, I think I had just 22 or 23 of my top 50 overall with 2022 ETAs or ones that had already debuted that obviously will be up again next year. And then like 45 of my top 100. So a lot of intriguing names. And I think, you know, right off the bat, some of the ones that should be up early, I'd say, you know, by the end of June, I'm just going down my list here. I think Bobby Witt Jr. Julio Rodriguez probably is up June ish. Vernon Davis could be up mid season. Riley green should be up early. Torque should be up early. Rushman should be up early. Uh, Vidal Bruhan should be back up. You could see G-Rod midseason, Alec Thomas <laughs> by midseason, Josh Lowe back up. That's just in my, in my top 20. So, um, Chris, who are you? Who are some of the guys you're really excited about seeing early next year that people should be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, Bobby Witt's the clear one. I think that Bobby Witt should and definitely could break camp with the team. 
Uh, we thought that this year he was he was definitely ready, and he dominated. I mean, he showed that and you know dominated the minors this year. Power speeds legit, hit tools legit, well rounded five tool type player. One that I don't think gets enough love is Josh Young, who I think that if he was healthy all year, probably already would have debuted. There's literally no one blocking him in Texas, so like he's yeah. got a, a super clear path, and he's looked good in Triple A so far this year. Three hundred bat, three hundred three batting average, six home runs, and eighty nine at bats. Pretty dang good. OPS over a thousand. So those are things you like to see. So Young's one I think that should get plenty of run and early run at that. So. He may be one of the earlier prospects to come up after Wit. You know, I, I agree yeah. with a lot, a lot of the guys you mentioned, but there's obviously going to be the service time game always gets played. So uh, another one might be Pedro Leon, which I think he's obviously lost time this year with injury. I thought he could debut late this year, but the injury kind of set that back a lot. So I'll be interested to see when they decide to call him up. I think he's a, one that could possibly come up early. I mean, they've moved him to shortstop. Seems pretty clear Correa isn't coming back. So he's he's older. I mean, he's 23. So like Young also is 23. So I could see both those guys coming up pretty soon the next season. So, yeah, those are guys to keep an eye on. I also think you have to look at like Nick Prado, who certainly yeah. looks the part and looks ready. Not really much blocking him in Kansas City. He should get up there and get plenty of run. He certainly looked like he was ready this year. So Prado's one to watch out for. There's just endless names where, and so here's another names. one where people haven't talked about in a long time. That's Royce Lewis, another one who's been hurt and lost the season completely. I think Royce could see some run by June. I mean, he's certainly more than capable. I think people have forgotten He's a very talented player. I mean, he was the fall league MVP when you were out there, right? And yep, he and, was. Yeah, he he killed it. I, I got a lot of good footage of him. Yep. So he's he's certainly still that talented. Hopefully, he comes back from injury. Okay. So Royce could be a, a sneaky name there. Where wouldn't be surprised to see him get some some early run. So there's a lot of fun names. Uh, we could keep going and going and going, but yeah, there's you just go on the list and look at the 2022 ETAs. Wouldn't be surprised to see any of them, but gonna be yeah. fun here. I, I I agree. Yeah, a lot of fun names, and I'll, I'll add a, you know, a few more and talk about them quickly. You know, your boy Jose Miranda, I think yeah. should be up pretty early next year. Whether it's maybe second base, maybe third, we'll see. A lot of it depends on the health of Josh Donaldson, which is always a question mark. But you know, he's been one of the biggest, maybe the biggest riser outside of Anthony Volpe, but uh, one of the biggest risers this year. So uh, I I could see Miranda up pretty early. I do think we see Adley Rushman pretty early, whether it's opening day or not. Probably not. I think Baltimore plays service time game with him, but definitely by the end of the first half of the season, I think we see him up. And, you know, he's a guy, you know, the power, the hit tool, the approach, it's all there. He looks very, he's too good. He's, he's ready. Like he's ready. Wits ready. You know, Riley Green's basically ready. So uh, I think we see all three of them pretty early in the season as well. And, you know, don't sleep on a guy like Alec Thomas. I don't know quite how. He'll get in there because there's already you know plenty of other options for the Arizona outfield. But Alex Thomas is very underrated, so I think we could see him early on in the season. Um, another one here, Tristan Cassis could be up. I think they started him at AAA next year, and who knows how the first base situation will look like in Boston. Well, Bobby Dahlbeck is so damn inconsistent, and you know, I don't you know obviously Travis Shaw isn't going to be a long term option, even though he's a fan favorite here in Boston. Uh, always kind of has been. 
But I think Cassis is up probably around June or so and could take over that first base spot in Boston, you know, put him in, in a really good lineup. Now that should be pretty good bat from the get go. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of names you know, on the pitching side of things. Again, G rod, George Kirby um, should be up uh, next year. I think maybe you may see Emerson Hancock probably later in the year though. Uh, Sixto should be back. Kate Cavalli could be up. Uh, I think we see Max Meyer mid season or so. Uh, Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green. Um, maybe Nate Pearson back in the rotation. A lot of so many, maybe a DL Hall or, you know, um, uh, who else here? That's just pretty much it for my top 100 pitchers. But yeah, just a lot of good names. So, so it'll be a very exciting season next year. Hopefully the labor stoppage potentially doesn't screw that up. Fingers crossed. Next question here. Um, the next two will kind of lump in together because they're both kind of about roster constructions one somebody just asked us pitcher versus hitter roster construction for prospects and the other one kind of the same question but in more words i have 10 na spots to stash prospects in my dynasty league would you stash five hitters and five pitchers all hitters all pitchers highest rated etc etc or just make up or does it depend on makeup of current team i think the makeup does kind of play into a little bit but not a lot i i kind of you know, it always depends on who's available, obviously. But my kind of thing has always been right around two thirds to one third uh, hitters, because obviously we've seen that pitchers take a bit longer to get acclimated to the major league level. This year, everyone's been taking long to get acclimated to the major league level. Um, but you know, hitters tend to hit the ground running more, you know, more quickly than pitchers. So, and of course, you know, when you look, when you build your dynasty team, right, like. You know, we, we build around hitting first for dynasty. So I try to do the same thing in with my prospects and go right around a two third to one third split. What about you, Chris? I don't have a true like split. I normally with prospects, I'm just going best available. Don't right. even worry about position at all. Like I'm not trying to feel like if I if I have a so let's say I have Freddie Freeman on my team, I don't necessarily need to have Tristan Casas in my minor league spot. To, to fill that spot when whenever you know Freddie becomes irrelevant or I trade him or something like I'm not overly worried about that when it's time to contend you make the moves that you need to make prospects in my opinion have that value to be able to trade and so for that standpoint I'm I always want the best value that I can get whether it be a pitcher whether it be a hitter don't really care generally it's majority hitters like probably 80% hitters in most cases because pitching pop-up prospects are easy to find every year. Yeah. Pop-up pitchers in the major league level are easy to find every year in dynasty. League. You can pick up these guys every single year. So I don't really see the need as much to roster a ton of pitching prospects in general. I'm just looking for the best available. So whatever the high, like, like you asking the question, the highest, 10 rated that you could find regardless of position. Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at. And that's what I like to do because when the time comes to contend and I have a need on my major league team, you trade those prospects. So you want the guys that are most valuable. I'm not worried about position makeup. I'm not worried about 50, 50, you know, 60, 40 split between hitters and pitchers. Not worried about that at all. Prospects are there for the value. And that's what I'm looking at is just the overall value. So yeah, just in general, I'd say go for the most valuable guys you can get. Yep. Yep. 
basically agree with that. Yeah, I did, I did mention that the two thirds, one third split, but that's kind of like a, a rule of thumb. Like I said, it go all the, the biggest thing is the value who's, who's available to you. And I 100% agree with what Chris mentioned about the you know, positionally. That's what trades are for. You know, if you got a, a bulk at first base or outfield or short, wherever it may be, you can make trades. People are always looking for somebody in your league will always be looking for that position you have a surplus of. So, yeah, that's what people said have asked about like, oh, should I target? I'm, I'm light on, you know, I have a lot of shortstops already. Should I not go after like a Jordan Lawler or Marcelo May or a Cleo Watson in my first year player draft and get this other guy? I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. Like, plus, who knows what, you know, there's no guarantee that they stay at the, the position. You know, we've seen this all the time. Players, you know, prospects moving positions as they get, you know, whether it's because of path at the major league level or their defensive skills, whatever it may be. So, yeah, don't worry about position at all. That's what trading is for. Next on the docket, Trent Grisham. Uh, someone asked, Trent Grisham doesn't seem to have it. Was he a flash in the pan over a short data sample period? Or is 2021 a more realistic expectation for him? Or are there any indications that his game will improve back to hype levels? I don't know, Chris, you want to take this one? I, as I don't, and I'm looking at his metrics here, and there's not anything glaring to me that I'm like, all right, that's happened. If he corrects this, he's going to be great again. You know, I think he's going to be good, but I don't know. Maybe we did overhype him a bit last year. But what are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, he's very interesting case. He's seen his overall contact skills improve this year. His zone contact is up exponentially, which is very interesting, especially over a, a bigger sample. You know, 2020 had just 252 plate appearances in the shortened season. This year, the zone contact is up you know, 4%, which is pretty substantial. Ground ball rate up 2.5% or 2%. That's That's negligible. Line drive rates down, fly ball rates up a little bit. The home run to fly ball rate is the biggest thing that I notice. And you look last year at 20% home run to fly ball rate. This year, 12.4%. In his MLB debut, 183 plate appearance in the 2019, it was 12.5%. So part of me wonders if he's a little closer to that guy. But also, I look, he's definitely more of an OBP type guy. Like he definitely plays up in those leagues. This year, only a 326 OBP, which certainly is not great. 237 average, certainly, man, 404 slug, terrible. But even last year, you know, strong season, just a 456 slug. So, you know, not a huge guy that's going to put up slug, like a high slug, high OPS type stuff. But the OBP definitely plays, in my opinion. The walk rate, it's down 1.5% from last year. It's about where it was in 2019 debut. Not a really concerning strikeout rates actually down 2%. That's encouraging in my opinion. So the profile is certainly interesting and it leaves question marks. I think there's, there's questions of, you know, who is the real Trent Grisham? I'm not overly concerned. I think uh, he has to drop in a dynasty league like value wise, but based on the season, because he hasn't that guy they've, They've bumped him all around the lineup. He's hitting at the top a little more recently, but yeah, I think he's geared more towards the top of the lineup, but also he hasn't performed at the top of the lineup, which also is not cool. Like you want to see him up there because he can score a lot of runs and steal more bases at the top of the lineup, in my opinion. And, and that's the weird thing. He's swinging more in the zone. He's making more zone contact. It's a profile that kind of, 
frustrates me and I don't <laughs> yeah, truly do. get it. I mean, you look at his exit velocity, his actually average exit velocity is actually up from last year. The barrel rate is cut in half. So that's obviously noticeable that, yeah, his average exit velocity may be up a bit and not even a bit, just a little bit, just a hair, but he's not hitting the ball extremely hard. So a barrel's obviously a kind of a rate, like a ranging scale based on launch angle and exit velocity, but it has to be hit at least 95 miles an hour. Just doing that 5.2% of the time, hard hit rate is down, but not down substantially. So I don't know. I struggle really what to make of them. I think it could create a good buying opportunity. We have to remember still fairly young, just 24 years old, former first round pick has all the pedigree in the world. So I'm not overly concerned, but I think that there is some reason to be concerned based on what we've seen this year. Yeah. You know, like I mentioned, there wasn't any glaring things that I saw um, that could hint at a bounce back. I I, I don't think he's going to be this bad. Like, like you mentioned 235, 324, 400, you know, slash line. So he's still in like a, you know, 17, 16, 17 homer, 12 steel pace or something like that. So obviously is, is a, you know, far cry from his past performance, but yeah, hard contact is down about five. Was it? Well, yeah, five point two percent. X Wobicon's down. Yeah, you know, all of his quality of contact is down a decent amount. X slug's been uh, cut by one hundred and thirty-one points, four eighty-two down three fifty-one. And a lot of these metrics are very close to his twenty nineteen season um, instead of his twenty twenty season. Yeah, I think there's a middle ground to be had here. He's also struggling against fastballs this year. 208 batting average against fastballs, 344 slug in 2020. That was 286 and 571. Um, so maybe there's a bounce back there against fastballs. But again, I think we might have overrated him a bit in 2020. You know, but moving forward, I think he's going to be a you know at least a top 100 guy. Maybe you know between 50 and 100. You know, kind of fluctuate in that range. You know, 20, 25 home runs, 15 or so steals. You know, 80, 70 to 80 runs in RBI each, something like that. You know, he's he's gonna be in a good, you know, where the where they hit him long term. You know, maybe maybe that'll help his if he's hitting up near the top of the order, that'll help certainly help a bit. But you know, where even if he's hitting sixth or seventh in San Diego, that's still pretty decent. It's not it's not like he's hitting seventh in Pittsburgh or something like that. So I, th- I think there's a good yeah, I agree. Good buying opportunity here. You know, the chase rate is still very, very good. 97th percentile, still has a 92nd percentile sprint speed. Um, so that speed is still there. The approach is still pretty solid. Uh, Walker did go down a touch this year, but the K rate also went down a bit too. So um, still, I still believe that he could be a, a, at least a top 100 player long term. So if you can get him for a bit of a discount, then now would be a good time to do so. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side and get to some more questions. So don't go anywhere. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's keep going with the listener mailbag questions here. Next one we have says... I'd be curious which prospect or prospects had the most surprising season, in your opinion, can be MILB or MLB call-ups. And surprising could be either taking a huge step forward or a huge step back that you just didn't see coming at all. Chris, who are some names for you there? 
Well, I think Anthony Volpe is probably the obvious one for everybody, and I don't yep. <laughs> think anybody could see this coming at all. How how good he's been. Um, Joey Weimer's one for me, where he's been a total surprise in a good way for sure. I mean, you know, former fourth round pick last year out of Cincinnati, one that I don't think many expected a ton from, and he's been just absolutely killing the ball. I mean, 27 home runs, 30 stolen paces between uh, low A and high A this year, 297, 405, 560 slash. He hits the ball incredibly hard. He actually makes really good contact as well, which is encouraging. And I think he's fully legit. He hasn't slowed down a bit. And I think, you know, at some point people thought that he was just kind of a pop-up guy that would slow down. But he hasn't done that. I think the contact skills overall are solid. He's actually improved upon promotion. So Weimer's one for me that's certainly really jumped up. Uh, Volpe, obviously, you know, we could all say from a pitching standpoint, Randy Vasquez has really impressed me with the Yankees. He's flown way up my rankings. He's got a great arsenal of pitches. He's young, commands them well, gets a ton of strikeouts on the slider. A lot of he checks a lot of boxes of things that you'd like to see. And so Vasquez on that on the pitching side is one that probably has made the biggest leap for me of anybody. Go to you, and I got to think of some that have fallen in a negative way to, to hit that side of the question. But who's been your, you know, the ones that have surprised you the most in a positive way? Yeah, so I, I've been really been looking at this, and there's been a lot of you know positives and negatives this year. It's been a really, really hectic and crazy season with prospects, you know. I guess I'll start with some negatives here. I didn't think that this many prospects would come up in this struggle, right? And I guess biggest biggest example of that, obviously, is my boy Jared Kelnick, but been picking it up here in September. So very excited for him in 2022, but did not see his struggles coming at all or the fact that he kind of changed his swing out of, out of nowhere and it did not work. Now he's kind of getting back to the old swing, and look at that. He's going back to Jared Kelnick, so... His struggles definitely surprised me. A um, couple big um, positive surprises for me. I didn't see the the Kansas City boys, Prado and MJ Melendez, bouncing back like this and putting up huge, huge seasons. And Melendez being one of the biggest power bats in the minor leagues this year. And Prado, you know, hitting for average, hitting for power, stealing some bags. I did not see them bouncing back like this and putting up this type of season. Uh, this, you know, after that disastrous 2019 that they both had. Um, Sully Matisse didn't bounce back, but these two certainly have. So that definitely surprised me. Uh, Yuri Perez got, came out of nowhere here. You know, always you know, had the size and the stuff, but the fact that he dominated at as one of the youngest in full season ball this year and kept dominating after his promotion, it seems to get better and better every month. Do not think that I would put in Yuri Perez right now pushing my top 50 overall one spot behind Nate Pearson. I know some probably have Yuri Perez ahead of Nate Pearson now, uh, which is, I totally get, but you know, before the season I had Nate Pearson top 20, Yuri Perez wasn't even in my top 300 at the time. So uh, that was definitely surprising. Um, yeah. There's been a lot of, you know, pleasant surprises and now I, it sucks that we still haven't seen Christian Robinson and Mackenzie Gore has continued the struggle. I thought Gore would get back on track this year. That hasn't really been the case. And uh, Simeon Woods Richardson has been a surprise for me, too, and obviously in a negative way. And he looked really good. I saw him first start of the year back in uh, uh, early May here in Portland, his double-A debut. 
looks good. His arrow was on the rise, and he's kind of command and control, which is already like the not the weakness. I won't say he was below average command and control, but you know he was fringe fifties on both. That's kind of taking a step back. He's had a very inconsistent season, so that's a, another negative surprise for me. You got you got any more? Yeah, on the on the negative side, I thought Cheater Downs, obviously, yes. a player that I've always been extremely high on from a floor standpoint too, which makes it even more surprising. Like Downs never had the highest ceiling in the world, but he's always been a solid floor player in yeah. my opinion. And I thought that's why he would continue to perform and even debut this year and be a solid contributor for the Red Sox. And he's just looked absolutely lost in Triple A this year. I don't I don't know what's going wrong with him, but it's been a lot for sure. And, you know, his strikeout rate 33% this year is majorly concerning moving forward. The walk rate is not great either. I don't know. There's just so many question marks now with, with him. And, you know, what are we expecting moving forward? Because while the power speed has still been there, 14 home runs, 17 stolen bases this year, the slash line of 181, 264, 331, is certainly a huge disappointment from a guy that I expected could hit 270 at the big league level with with decent OBP numbers. Yeah, that's not what you want to see. Aaron Bracho is another one who I've always been a fan of as well. And that he had really been impressive in 2019, 18 years old between rookie ball and low A. And you know, this year in high A, now 20 years old, he's really, really struggled. Another one where you look and it's just like, you know, what's gone wrong? And it's been a disappointing season for both of them. Both have dropped down my prospect rankings pretty significantly. So yeah, those are those are two negatives that I thought of. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll sneak one more in here. Another negative: Matt Manning. Now, he was a top five pitching prospect for me entering twenty twenty one. Everything was trending up with him. You know, fastball command was ticking up in twenty nineteen. I saw him twice in twenty nineteen. Said fastball command was ticking up. Curveball was looking really, really good. Changeup was developing. I'm like, all right, this is going to be a, a good three pitch, like two plus pitches and an above average potential average to above average changeup. If he keeps refining it, I'm like, all right, you know, the everything's trending up here. And then it just like did a complete 180 and started going back down. Fastball command regressed, changeup regressed, wasn't getting really any whiffs. You know, he was struggling in AAA this year, got called up. He's had a couple good starts at the major league level, but for the most part has been pretty so-so and not really striking out anybody. You know, that carrot has ticked up a bit of late, but still not anywhere near what we thought he could do. So um, I'm still, I still like Matt Manning long-term. I'm not saying I'm out on Manning, but his performance this year, both in AAA and the major league level did surprise me a good amount here. Next question uh, says pick two for dynasty. Out of these four, Blaze Jordan, Nick York, Jose Miranda, and Joey Bart. This is tough. I hmm. think Miranda is my highest ranked right now of the three or of the four. So I'm going Miranda for one. Oh, long term. I don't know who I like more out of these three between Jordan, York, and Bart, though. Uh, they all looked really good. Bart's looked good this year in the minors. New York and Jordan have been two big breakouts. Uh, I guess I will still lean Joey Bart, but that is very close. I'll go Miranda and Bart. I think Bart could still be a, a back-end top 10 fantasy catcher, which I think is pretty valuable. So those are my two. Who, who are you going with here? Oh, Miranda's an easy choice for me. And then the second one's pretty easy, too, I think, for me at least. 
and that's Nick York. I think the contact skills for York are, you know, far exceed both Blaze and Joey Bart, which gives that. me a little more trust in him long term. And then we've seen the power develop some this year. He's looked like an absolute stud. Obviously, a little harder. I mean, Bart's had the pedigree for a long time, but I just I have more confidence in saying York because he's such a good contact hitter, and normally that translates well. And then we see the power come. We're already seeing the power come, which is super encouraging for a player like York, who, you know, if you thought that the Red Sox made a great pick there, then kudos to you because, you know, a few did. And I certainly didn't. And, you know, I think we can still look back and say that there was other guys that could have been a better pick, but I don't know. York's looked really good. He's looked apart. And the scouting department did something really good there with Nick York. So he's been highly impressive. And I, think just due to the hit tool and contact skills plus the developing power and he's got speed as well that that makes it an easy second choice for me with Nick York I just those guys tend to hit much more often than not with with Jordan you run a little more risk I think there's probably more upside with Blaze but you just run the risk because the contact skills just certainly aren't as good in my opinion and with Bart being a catcher devalues him a little bit in my opinion so Miranda and York for me yeah, so we, I think we definitely agree on Miranda. And I think, you know, going with Nick York is fine. Uh, I think he, you mentioned second base. I think that could be, you know, he could have the most value there, especially if the power and speed continue to trend up like, excuse me, like they have this year. Um, but then again, I could, you could argue Blaze Jordan might have the highest upside. Joey Bart could be a top 10 catcher. You know, it's, I wouldn't fault anybody going any which way with these other three. So, yeah, definitely Miranda for one, and you know, toss up for me for the other. But I do lean Joey Bart. I'm still, a, I'm still a Joey Bart guy. Like I said he's looked pretty good this year in the minor league. So, um, but moving on here to the next question, and this is a, a very, uh, we should probably have done this earlier when we were talking about 2022 guys. But um, someone did ask about uh, the possibility of Hunter Green and or Nick Lodolo getting starts next year for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I think they both do. I just don't know how many because there's not, you know, unless we're talking injuries and obviously, you know, always can be injuries. They have uh, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Wade Miley, and Tyler Molly next year. Um, and I think they have them all. Yeah, they well, they have a, a team option on Miley, which a $10 million team option. I got to think they uh, picked that up. And then Sonny Gray is under contract until uh, through 2023. And uh, Castillo is not free agent eligibility till 2024. And same thing with Tyler Molly. So they get those four guys who have all looked pretty good this year. And there's one spot right now that's Vladimir uh, Gutierrez that's been making some starts lately and looked you know decent enough, but long term doesn't have the upside of Lodolo or Green. So I do think they both get starts. I'm not sure which one gets up first, though. I probably would still lean Lodolo's up first and probably make some more starts next year, but I do expect that both of them get starts. They're probably like, you know, heading into the year numbers like six and seven in the pecking order. And then one of them will get starts probably over Gutierrez if he struggles. And then if there's an injury, you know, probably the Sunny Gray, I guess um, they can, the other one can get up in there. So um, I think Lodolo's up first and gets more starts, but I, I'd say they both make 10 plus starts in 2022. What are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah. And I could see them both potentially coming up and working out of the pin some wouldn't be surprising to see green up first just because he could be a power pin arm if if they did need him and yeah. you certainly hope that's not the case but he could be valuable to them in that role but yeah i think like you mentioned i mean they're 
they've got the talent there already in the rotation. So it makes it hard to say for sure they'll crack the rotation coming out. A lot of it's going to depend on the spring too. Like these guys are going to do some work in the off season, like how they develop, how they look in spring training. And that'll be a huge deciding factor, but it, it seems pretty certain you, you've got three spots locked in for sure with, with gray Castillo and Molly, assuming they pick up. I mean, Miley's been well worth his 8 million this year. I think they easily pick up the 10 million option on him next year, just because you know, he could be good trade bait at midseason. Why would you not pick that up if right. he keeps performing well? You can That's pretty solid mid-season. value for Miley, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to find anybody cheaper unless you just want to go cheap with both these prospects, which I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, th- I think that over-under on 10 is, is pretty solid for, for both of them. I think we'll we'll see him probably June or July. That'd be probably July. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I would bet July. Midseason, yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. And yeah, Hunter, you know, Hunter Green, I I do think he's a starter long term, but just the fact that he has that electric arm, has had some injuries, I wouldn't rule out, you know, him being a potential closer and cuz you know, look at the issues the Reds have had in the bullpen this year. They have, you know, they Givens has kind of settled into the role kind of sort of um over the second half of the season, but you know, Michael Givens is far from a a lock to be a long-term closer of this team. You know, Lorenzen has had his struggles both with durability and performance. Amir Garrett, Lucas Sanders, it's like a revolving door uh, the back end of that bullpen. So it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I don't think that'll happen in 2022, but you never know with how good Hunter Green is. But yeah, I do think they both get starts here um, in 2022. But who knows? That's not a great ballpark for, for pitching, especially you guys, you know, fly ball pitchers. Yeah. You know, we've seen like Tyler Molly has been a plus six ERA guy at home because he's a fly ball pitcher. And on the road, he's sub two. It's just ridiculous. Like you think he'd pitch the cores or something like that. But yeah. uh yeah, so not loving the ballpark for these guys, but do like each arm quite a bit long term. They're both uh top fifty or so guys for me overall in my prospect ranking. So pretty high on each of them. Uh, next one's a pretty interesting question here. Um, it says, I'm just starting to utilize projection systems like the pars list, the arrival, etc., to ident- help identify guys in deep leagues. Do you find utility in them? If a prospect is making an unexpected leap, what is your prospect uh, process Excuse me, when integrating them into your list? This is very interesting because you've seen a lot of these kind of projection models for prospects pop up over the last couple of years. Um, pars list being the last one. And we've talked about pars list before. It's a great system. Go check that out. Um, for me, I do look at them and obviously I think there's a lot more, I find them interesting for sure, but obviously there's a lot more that goes into ranking and, you know, evaluating prospects for sure. So the, I do think they have what I use them for when I look at them, I'm like, all right, maybe I'll find a prospect like, all right, maybe I didn't think, oh, this guy is having a much better year than I, I thought. Maybe I should dig into that. That's kind of how I use these kind of like, all right, w- which prospects are maybe doing better than I thought they were or not as good as I thought they were. Then that'll lead me to maybe I need to dig into, you know, player A, B or C a bit more. Um, so that's kind of how I utilize them. But it brings another wrinkle to the prospect ranking scene and, um, you know, a little bit different on, on all of these have a little bit, you know, difference to them. So, um, all valuable. Uh, so that's how I kind of use them. Uh, anything to add there, Chris? No, I mean, I think that's good. I also think it's important to know, like looking at these, whatever goes into them is what you're going to get out of them. So, you know, certainly it's important to know, like, 
what's going into these formulas. And, and that's fine. Like if these guys don't publish that, that's totally fine. But you have to know that like going in, like whatever you put in is what you're going to get out. So obviously numbers are numbers matter because that's the game we play. Like fantasy baseball is a game of numbers and we want to get the most stats possible. Like that's the goal and that's how we win. But like you said, I think that's important to realize that that prospects are a lot more than numbers. And so it's fine. Like you said, I think that you can find, identify these guys, but you have to be able to look at the, some of the parts beyond this. There's so much that goes into it. Like, you know, for instance, if you have a guy that's 26 years old and just, you know, dominating high a, like that doesn't really matter much to me. I want to see guys that are age appropriate level, obviously doing their thing. There's, there's things that you can't quantify in numbers. Like, like yep. body and project like projectable frames. Like you look at an 18 year old that has so much room to like a Brennan Davis, for instance, who I think has just so much left in his frame that we're going to see with the power development. Like that's why I think he's going to be a 30 home run bat, even though while he's been dominated triple A since coming up, like the power numbers weren't particularly there. Like we thought they might be earlier in the year, but there's so much still left in the bat. There's so much still left in the frame that, that numbers don't really quantify. So there's it, it's a part of the formula in my opinion, but you still have to know their place and, and know how to factor it in with everything else. But I agree. I think they can be good, but we have to know what they are and what, and how to use them effectively, I think is the biggest thing. So yeah, I think they can definitely be useful. Yep. Well said. Couldn't agree more with that. Uh, we got five more. We'll, we'll kind of go quick, a little bit quicker through these. Uh, we can kind of group these two. We have two questions centered around the Baltimore Orioles. So kind of group these in together. Um, one of them, um, which I think was from our buddy Nick Savali, who does a great job uh, covering injuries for us here at Fantrax HQ. He's the more famous of the two Savali brothers. We all know <laughs> that, right? Um, good love, Nick. Um, he asks, Orioles are getting great ratings from well, with their overall farm system. Um, but in the AL East, do you see them as contenders in a few years based on who their young guys are? And the other question we had around Baltimore, uh, what am I missing with Gunnar Henderson? I know he has okay power speed numbers, but the average and K percentage are atrocious. In most cases, those do not improve as a player moves up. So why is there so much hope his will? Is it his young age? Um, start with Baltimore. Uh, I do think they're going to get better, but the AL East is a monster right now. Like, look at that. you got potentially like, four of the five best teams in the American League or four of the best six teams in the American League are all in the American League East. Right now you get obviously Tampa Bay has been doing really well, leading the division by like, I don't know, eight games or so last time I checked. Toronto, look, we talked about Toronto. They're obviously dominating right now. Sox and Yanks are always up there for the most part. So it's just to be hard. I think if Baltimore's in another division, like maybe the Central, <laughs> it'd be a lot easier to be like, all right, they're going to move up, maybe be playoff team in two or three years. But even if they do improve, like I don't think they're going to be like a 61 team uh, moving forward, I think they'll be, you know, get better and better because Richmond's coming up and um, they've had guys break out like Gunnar Henderson, you know, they've Jordan Westbrook. There's a lot of Kobe Mayo, a lot of intriguing guys, not a ton that are nearly ready outside of Adley Rushman. And I still question what they can do on the pitching side of things because we've seen DL Hall and up and down with him, you know, guys, a lot of the pitching prospects have been up and down or just don't have really you know, a high projection. You know, I, I don't see them. a lot of them as being more than back-end guys outside of, you know, probably D.L. Hall um, and G-Rod. Obviously, oh, G-Rod. You know, G-Rod up there with Richmond. So those two will be impacts next year. But 
outside of that, I think they're still a couple years away. So I don't see Baltimore getting out of the cellar for at least two or three more years. But you know, what, what are your thoughts there, Chris, and uh, about Gunnar Henderson as well? With the Orioles, that's a tough thing. They're, it doesn't matter how well they develop, in my opinion, because you always have the Yankees and Sox who can just go buy the players they want. And it's yep. just the, the fact of that. I mean, you look at the Dodgers who develop extre- probably the best development system in baseball, but they also have the money to just get anybody they want. And with the Orioles, I just, you know, even if they develop extremely well, it's going to be so tough for them. You, I don't see the Blue Jays going away anytime soon. The The Red Sox and Yankees will always be relevant. And the Rays just constantly find a way. The Rays development is top-notch as well. So, yeah, it's, it's tough to see the Orioles being contenders, unfortunately, which is sad. But, yeah, they're trending in the right direction. And with Gunner, you know, saw him live. I think the skill set is intriguing. Obviously, the strikeout rate does give reason for concern. But with Henderson, what I've seen so far this year is that he struggled at each the beginning of each day, like promotion. So he struggled at first the beginning of the year in low A. And then he finally got it going on, promoted to high A, which is where I saw him. He was really struggling. At that point, he was just promoted a couple weeks prior to me seeing him. He actually saw the walk rate increase. He's being a little passive, I think. Strikeout rate stayed pretty high there. Now, now he's been promoted double A, but it's just four games. So there's nothing to see there. The contact skills are okay. His contact rates this year have not been been great. Sub 70% all year. So also important to remember that he just turned 20 this year. So he's still fairly young. I'm not overly worried about him. Maybe went a little high on him after the pretty hot start in low a i do like the skill set but i wonder if he's maybe just a little more average across the board than than i thought maybe he's a five hit five power five speed type guy that's kind of kind of where i'm at on him so i'm probably a little high on him in my rankings probably should move him down a little bit but i do think that he'll be a solid player not overly concerned about that but maybe not the higher ceiling guy that i that i once thought yeah, no, I'm kind of there with you. I don't think there's a super high ceiling. And yeah, even if, even if he is fives across the board, that's still, if you're going to 50 hit, that's around what, say 270 or so, and five for each power and speed. That could be, you know, 18, you know, 17, 18, 19. Maybe, maybe he gets over 20 at some point. So still a solid offensive prospect. Um, but yeah, he definitely does have his warts. So he's, he's far from perfect. There's some holes in the swing for sure. Um, but still think he's a, you know, a back end top 100 prospect for me right now. Um, yeah. And Baltimore, <laughs> they need to get out of the, <laughs> they, they obviously they can't get out of the AL East, but yeah, the fact that they're in the best division in baseball, you know, or, you know, at worst, the number two division in baseball, with all the good teams. And then you mentioned that Red Sox Yankees are always there because of their payroll. Um, and if they develop, you know, uh, prospects, well, that's when they get up to, you know, championship caliber team and, Tampa Bay is always good. Toronto is usually pretty good, you know, especially lately. So it just sucks to be Baltimore. I feel bad <laughs> for Baltimore. I really do. Like, if they were in any other division, I, I could see a brighter future for them. But don't see anytime soon. We got three more questions. We'll go a little quicker through these. Um, all major league um, questions. First one here, how do you rate Keston Huria now? Do you ever see him having success in the majors ever again? Worth a roster spot in a prospect dynasty league. It, it, it depends on how deep the league is. Like now we're getting to the point of how deep is your league? 
yeah. for me, I pu- I pulled up our rankings. I have him three thirty five currently, and Chris has him three seventy one. So <laughs> yeah, you, you need to be talking four hundred plus players at this point to roster him. But at the same time, you know, I would rather you know have him over a guy you know, who's a guy near him, like Randall Grichuk's a guy that's six spots lower. Uh, maybe he has more value right now, or definitely does. But you know, moving forward, I still think here it could be more valuable than a Randall Gucci type of player long term. So I would still take a flyer if you can get him for basically nothing, which is basically probably what his prices would be right now. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but outside of being a, a decent power bat with a little bit of speed, I don't see. Like, I don't think he's ever a, a top one fifty player ever. So, but back end fantasy guy, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad. I, I really thought that. <laughs> I know. I'm so. I, I like it. He looks like a likable guy. He's always smiling, upbeat. Yeah. You know, I like the. You know, he's got the. You know, he came from uh, Hawaii. You know, a lot of stuff to like about Kessin Hiria. But you know, I, he was out. one of the best hitters I saw in college, and then even in the minor leagues. Like the hit tool was just so good, and I don't know where it went. I wouldn't be surprised if he. So he's just turned 25. I wouldn't be surprised if he pops back up at like 27 yeah. or 28, oh, yeah. and and solid, you know, comes into his own. So I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. Like you said, I think that it's got to be deep. 400 players is probably a good number there. But man, I'm, he certainly dropped a long way, that's for sure. So uh, hard to really evaluate him other than a, a not great hitter with some power at this point. Yeah, I was thinking of some comps. Maybe he turns into, I had two names come in my head. So I think I'm like, all right, low average, Good power, a little bit of speed. Maybe best case for looking at Dan Ugla. At this <laughs> point, uh, Danny Espinosa comes to my mind too. Kind of like ah, 230, 240, 25 home runs, handful of steals. Maybe that's what he is. You know, still think there's potential for some value there, but I said I won't give up anything of note right now to uh, acquire him in dynasty leagues. Um, next one is hard for me. I'll, I'll, I'll go over to you first on this one, Chris. This one is really hard for me to answer. Says, what are you doing with Marcel Ozuna in Dynasty? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. what, 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 what are you doing, Chris? I think that he's a hold. It just unless it's like super shallow ten team league. Personally, I think he'll be back next year. Right now, <clears throat> right now he just wrapped up a case, and well, it's not really wrapped up, but he had a hearing, and he agreed to join a diversion program that could end up leading to the dismissal of the case, which then would allow him to rejoin the team. I don't know. I don't know if Atlanta keeps him. I assume that they do because you can't just really cut him beneath the contract. He, they could cut him in the sense that if he was charged, obviously in, and in prison, then, then they don't eat any money. Like the money just goes, it's, it just goes away if you cut him. But with the situation right now, I think that if he undergoes, so he's under six month supervision, must undergo 24 week family violence intervention program, includes a bunch of different courses, complete 200 hours of community service, refrain from any illegal drug use, avoid any contact with his wife. And so after those six months supervision, it would be the, basically the case would be terminated is, what it seems like. So the next court appearance is scheduled for January 13th for him. So it seems like it's highly possible that he's back next year. I don't know. So 
the good news is that he's on the he's been on the injured list. So you can keep him stashed there in a dynasty league, which yep. definitely has its benefit. With with Bauer, that wasn't the case. So because he's tech because Ozuna's technically still on the injured list, you're not really wasting a, a roster spot there. So yeah, I'm not really opposed to it. Obviously, situations like this are tough when we look at you know players in domestic violence cases or whatnot. But yeah, I'm fine keeping him on the roster. I've still got him on my injured list on a, a 20 team dynasty league where I have him. So yeah, I'm certainly holding unless it's a shallow 10, 12 team league. Yeah, that's uh, very well said. I'll leave it at that. Uh, last question here. Is Cal Quantrill legit or a sell high candidate in dynasty? I would be looking to sell high. Uh, first off, I don't know how he fits in long-term because I think there are five better options in Cleveland long-term. Uh, right now, they currently have uh, ahead of him already, Zach Plezak, Tristan McKenzie, and Aaron Savali. I think all three of those I would take over a Cal Quantrill long-term. And then they'll have Shane Bieber coming back, whether that's this year is he has he been rolled out this year bieber uh he just he made a rehab start today so right so he's, he's probably still coming back yeah um so then bieber there's four so at best i think he's their five but then you know logan allen um has looked decent as well they have you know a good amount of pitching prospects coming up uh through the minor leagues none of them are super close um but they have guys like daniel espino tanner burns uh ethan hankins once he gets healthy again um, Peyton Battenfield, there's a lot of good arms coming up uh, through the minor leagues. So I I don't know. Just on that alone, uh, I'd probably look to sell him. But I'm not even a buyer or a, excuse me, a believer in what we've seen from him this year. Again, he's kind of like, you know, kind of fits like a please act type of mold. He doesn't strike out many batters. His strikeout rate this year is 19.5%. Walk rate's okay, 8%, but XER, all of the ERA indicators are a run to a run and a half higher. Like XERA is 408 compared to his surface ERA of 2.89. Doesn't get a lot of whiffs. Like his, he has one pitch with a whiff rate above 20%. That's his slider at 30.4. Everything else is in like the 17, 18, 19% range. So doesn't get a lot of case, so he'll need to have the ratios low. And I don't know if he's a Low, low ratio guy he could be an okay ratio guy i think that four era is attainable um but four era with not a lot of strikeouts yeah pass <laughs> that's a, that's like streamer territory for me or back end starter so he's definitely it's all high for me what do you think oh yeah that's easy choice when guys don't strike out 20 percent of hitters i don't see much fantasy value long term i think that this nice little run could end soon like you mentioned the era indicators are are not great so i could see him falling off and it gives up a lot of contact. Not what you really want to see. The swinging strike rates, you know, probably one of the worst in the league. I don't have the leaderboard up, but 8.9% is just not good at all. And you mentioned, so, I mean, the here's the crazy thing. So all these arms, they have under control for so long. Like Beaver's not a free agent until 2025. Plezak, Savale, Quantrill are not free agents until 2026. Tristan McKenzie, not until 2027. Like that's absolutely nuts. We're not even factoring in Eli Morgan, who's pitched well, and the prospects you mentioned. So there's just so much talent here. They'll probably trade. I guarantee, I bet they'll – wouldn't be surprised to trade Quantrill in the offseason. That wouldn't surprise me at all because that seems like a Cleveland thing to do. So, yeah, I don't – I would sell him in the Dynasty League right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just don't see him fitting in long term. I think they have better options long term. Like the, the K rate's not there. And I'm I'm pulling up the uh, K minus walk rate leaderboard for pitchers with at least 130 innings. He has 137 this year. Um, out of those 69 pitchers, where does he rank? It has to be pretty low. Um, where is he? Okay, he's not. I should pull this up sooner. Well, he has 137 innings. So, huh. oh, he was 55th out of 69. There he is. Yeah. Um, for 100, so 130 plus innings, K minus walk rate, 55th out of 69. He's right around Antonio Senzatella, Jordan Lyles, Cl- uh, Chris Flexen. Oh, look, Kyle Hendricks is down there below him, too. Um, mm-hmm. Zach Plezak is uh, one above him. Zach Granke, Casey Myers, Merrill Kelly. So, yeah, don't see a ton of value for Quantrill long term. So, definitely, I think we're both in agreement. 100% a sell high in Dynasty. Um, and someone I'm probably avoiding at any cost in 2022 drafts because they'll probably be going way higher than I would like to get him. But that's going to wrap us up. Thanks to everyone that submitted questions and for everyone listening again this week. We hope you all enjoyed this. We'll, we'll try to do another one of these or two of these in the offseason, too. I think it's a pretty fun episode to mix into the rotation every now and then. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm at AirCross04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check, all, check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon. Make sure to tune in again next week for more Dynasty and Prospect talk. But until then, everyone take care. MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion?